The remainder of the second chapter of Paul's first letter to Timothy continues the establishment of the firewall. Ephesus was considered neokoros, the center of cult practices offered to Artemis, including hundreds of eunuch priests, virgin priestesses, and religious prostitutes. Artemis was the pagan's goddess of the promise of fertility, long life, sexual fulfillment, and protection during pregnancy and childbirth. Pagan worship in Ephesus was based in many years' practice, ranging back to, according to local mythology, the arrival of Amazons from the north. Paul was keenly aware of the role of women in this cult. From its beginning, the cult of Artemis was dominated by female leadership. With this context available to us here in the 21st century, it is important for us to continue reading 1 Timothy 2 with first century lenses, beginning in verse 9. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. Paul draws a clear distinction between an environment where pagans worship their various gods and goddesses and a place where Christ's kingdom reigns. He issues a call for the women who have been called into the Christian church at Ephesus to be adorned as described in Titus 2 with the fruits described in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Peter makes the same point in his first letter to the Christians in the northern provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, in chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Please notice Peter's mention of a gentle and quiet spirit. In verses 11 and 12, we read Paul's direction regarding a specific person 
Note the change from the plural general reference to women to a single woman. A woman must quietly receive instruction with entire submissiveness. But I do not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, but to remain quiet. This is the key phrase. First, the phrase translated, I do not allow a woman to teach, is literally in the tense of, I am not now permitting a woman to teach. This woman needs to learn in quiet humility before she ever presumes to teach because of the influence of cultic beliefs in Ephesus. It is a mistake to use this as a proof text for women never teaching men or having authority over men. To suggest otherwise is inconsistent with biblical examples of women teaching and leading men in Scripture. Deborah gave counsel and taught men and women about the law of God in Judges 4 and 5. Huldah prophesied to Israel the word of the Lord and led the men of Israel in 2 Kings 22. Priscilla and Aquila explained more perfectly to Apollos the way of God in Ephesus in Acts 18. More importantly, when Jezebel was teaching error to the church at Thyatira, Jesus never once told the church they were wrong for having a woman teach or lead them. He simply said they were wrong for not rejecting her false teaching. This in Revelation 2. The Greek word authenteo translates into the phrase exercise authority. The word was used in classical Greek literature meaning to murder someone. Paul chose the word to represent someone dominating, controlling, or subjecting one to harm. This is precisely what the Artemis cult taught women to do. Ephesian women were taught to use their voices, their charm, their sexuality, and their beauty to dominate, control, and subjugate men. Continuing in verse 13, Paul proceeds to correct a couple of specific false teachings. For it was Adam who was first created, and then Eve. In the female-centric cult of Artemis, the false notion of the mother of all mankind being created first had to be refuted by Scripture. 
this in Genesis 2. Then, error surrounding the fall was dealt with in a similar fashion in verse 14. And it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. In conclusion, Paul counters the false influence of Artemis as the protector of women in pregnancy and childbirth. But women will be preserved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctity with self-restraint. This one sentence offers an encapsulation of the alignment of the role of women in God's kingdom. Various translations make this message more difficult by mistakenly taking the position that women will be saved by having children. This conclusion is not about salvation. Paul makes the case that a woman who assumes the role of mother applies herself in God's great mystery of creation. The sheer fact of a new human being being formed in the womb of a woman is so extraordinary it challenges the imagination of any man. The preservation of which Paul writes is the realization by women of their part in the continuation of the creation story. A full appreciation by any woman of this great mystery enables her to pursue even deeper aspects of faith and love. It is this appreciation that drives a woman to her knees in submission to the will of God. The only requirement? The subjugation of one's own emotions, desires, and preferences. Paul is sending a message to Ephesian women that wrestles them from the grasp of pagan mythology and gently cradles them in the arms of the reality of life in Christ Jesus. For now, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.